Father God, thanks for the night or the time. I'm always saying night because we're doing youth group, but thank you for the time together to where we're able to uh, just worship and have a chance to uh, experience a little bit of your glory and to be in your presence. And I pray right now, God, that um, that you would fill this space um, just like in the book of Revelation where it says um, you walk among us, you know our works, you know our deeds, I pray that you would um, very comfortably walk and, and be here with us and reside in this place, that you would uh, use this moment and use this time in your word to communicate exactly what you want to say. Um, Lord, I, I pray that you would have your way in this place and uh, that it would be your words that we hear today, that my words would, would, uh, would be your words, and so on and so forth. Um, God, we love you so much, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> all right, guys, so uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Robin is passing out Bibles. RJ is also around. So it seems like every time I come up here, I'm always just kind of deliberating as to what to, what to teach. I don't really have the, the luxury of time to just pick a book and hammer down on the book and spend a couple months or maybe a couple years to slam through a book, depending on how many verses we go through. Uh, so every time I, I, I come up here, it's, it's usually an opportunity to just share what's what's going on or a verse that's been impacting me or a section of scripture that has spoken to me and resonated. And really early on, I landed on a scripture in the gospel of Mark. But interestingly enough, um, I don't know, I really enjoy relatable passages, ones that seem believable that like I could put myself in and I could see myself there. And maybe there's a character that I'm, that I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm that person. I'm, I'm that person in, in this passage. So I'm grateful when, specifically when I'm thinking about that, but when God actually makes that section of scripture come to life and when maybe something happens in the course of your week where you get a chance to, to see that scripture in, in your life. And for me, this week, that most certainly seemed to be the case, and it was awesome to have this section of scripture written on my heart and to just be able to, to live it and kind of experience it. So before I tell you the experience, let's kind of see the context of what's going on. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9, and we're going to be in verse 14. And this, just for context really quick, this takes place after uh, the transfiguration. And when Peter, James, and John are with Jesus and they see him transfigured up on the mountain and they have this amazing moment. It's like a spiritual high place for these three guys to where they're really filled up and they see the glory of, of Jesus and they also hear how, um, how God is just so pleased and identifies Jesus as as his son and I believe it was Peter that's like hey let's set up these memorials like let's remember this he was clearly wanting to stay up on this this mountain place and remember it and so this has just happened and just taken place so we're kind of thrusted into the story in verse 14 and it says if you read with me And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeting him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I spoke with your disciples that they should cast it out, but they they could not. And he answered Jesus, him, and he said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to Jesus. Jesus. 
And when he saw him, this is the spirit, when he saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So when he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him, the father? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cries, cried out and he said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out and convulsed him greatly and came out of him, and he became as one dead. So that many said, is he, is he dead? But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? So he said to them, this kind can only come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So this is the story that I'm, I'm reading for about the course of, of, of a week, when I'm typically have something to, to teach on or do a Sunday message. A lot, a lot of it is just spending a lot of time just chewing and really kind of internalizing it. So uh, Monday was a busy day. Mondays are typically a busy day for me now. Our kids go to a, 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 a tutorial school and they've asked me to come on in on Mondays and help lead some worship and to teach a little devotion for the grade school, which consists of like, I don't know, like 150 kids or so. So I'm kind of busy on Mondays doing that, and it's, it's enjoyable and it's fun. And then after that, I come home, it's after lunch and, and just sitting down and reading again to really kind of start the process of, okay, everything that I've been thinking about, everything I've been milling over, let's, let's really put some real clear thought and direction to this. And then the kids come home and it's like, well, I didn't have much time. Uh, school is over. And Kristen and I are both kind of working and trying to do stuff. So they've been bottled up in the classroom for the most of the day. And they wanted to go over to a neighbor's house. So Kristen was like, yeah, why don't you, why don't you guys all go over there and, and knock on the door? And if it's cool for you guys to, to go play, you'll play. So man, sure enough, they're available. So they start playing and the mom texts Kristen and says, hey, they're having a great time uh, playing out back. Is it fine if they stay here? Like, yeah, sounds good. Maybe an hour, hour or so passes. It's, it's getting to like that five, 5.30 hour. I'm like, yep, that's when I told them to come home. So Kristen's like, hey, go ahead and send them home for dinner. That way they're not in your hair. And very quickly after that text, the mom says, Avery's been hurt. You should, you should probably come. I, I, I considered moving her, but she's in, a, she's in a lot of pain. It's her leg. And we're like, we should, we should go. Like, let's just, let's just go. And I don't know what it was. In reading this passage, and you, you guys have read it with me, by the way, Avery's hurt, um, but at no point in time am I making some sort of spiritual um, uh, allegory here that she has a little demon <laughs> inside of her. Like, that's kind of like a footnote to really what's going on here, because for me, I identified so heavily with the Father in this story, and identify with the disciples in this story. The son that's in this story, this demon-possessed, is, is really an amazing story, an amazing benefit of the glory of God. And when God works, what can happen? So with, with that in mind, I don't want you to be like, dang, dude, did they have like a demonic moment here where, where, where Kristen or in Trent were casting? No, there, there was no like, uh, there was no moment like that. Thank, thank the Lord. But... Um, I'm cognitively, cognitively aware of, of the mind of this, this father and him 
coming before the Lord and Jesus kind of encouraging him with the idea of belief and trusting in him. <clears throat> so it was unusual because Chris and I both just kind of walked out of the house. There wasn't like this run to the car. We, there was a pep in our step, but we weren't frantic. It was just a natural peace and okay, what, it, what are we going to, what are we gonna come up on? So we go, we go back and, and drive over there and uh, it's just a few houses down and Avery's, we, we round the corner and um, their son Gabe takes us back there. We're like, hey, where is she? So she's in the back and so we go into the backyard and Avery's just laying on kind of like her side and uh, kind of sitting up a little bit <clears throat> And she's clearly been crying and just struggling. And um, I'm about ready to tell you the story of what, uh, what we know now, what happened. But before I do, just want to preface, it sounds like, like a filming of like a Red Bull, like crazy adventure exhibition thing or something like some crazy X Games thing. She got her on a zip line, and also there's a four-wheeler involved. So, um, but we, we, we go there and we're trying to ask questions and trying to figure out what's going on and where she's, where she's hurting and she's pointing at her leg, but she's wearing jeans so we can't really see what's going on. And Tyson is trying to tell us what's going on and then the neighbors and basically knowing what we know now, <clears throat> They were, they were playing on the zip line and the zip line goes pretty quick, but it's not expert level. It's not X games level. It's the, the highest that you ever are is just a couple feet off the ground, but it's, it's fun. It's like one of those zip lines you can get off of Amazon and just let the kids fool around. And then the four wheeler, uh, well, anyway, they started off zip line. Everybody's just zip lining and having fun, and they got bored of zip lining. So then they they decided to play something else. Well, Tyson's been going over there a little bit, and he has an opportunity to ride their four wheeler. Which, when he's on it, when the kids are on it, they have a governor on it, so it doesn't go faster than like five or ten miles an hour. So, so anyway. They're fooling around and eventually they both kind of get bored and simultaneously Tyson's like, I'm gonna ride the four-wheeler and Avery's like, I'm gonna go and get on the zip line. And essentially what happened is both at the same time thought that the other one was going to wait for the other one. So they both set off at the same time. Tyson has brakes, Avery does not have brakes because she's on a zip line. And Tyson, in a frantic moment, was like, oh, do I go, do I stop? And then he decided to stop, but he stopped right in the path of the zip line. So Avery's still swinging in the back of her leg, clips the backside of the four-wheeler. So her leg has just brunt impact and she ended up, we know now, but she ended up breaking her tibia. And it's a, a couple inches above, above her ankle. And so we're, we're there and man, we gotta get you home, hon. And, and we were able to get her home and evaluate it a little bit more. And we eventually took her to the, took her to the, the doctor, but it was an entire process, a very long process. And I'm hoping that through the course of this, I can kind of <clears throat> come back to this story a little bit because it really challenged me to put this scripture into practice a little bit more. Uh, one from the father's perspective, but then also uh, the disciples, the nine that were left left. So uh, we'll come we'll come back to that, but regardless, we show up on the scene here, the transfiguration happened and they're up on this amazing mountaintop and Jesus and the three disciples come on the other nine disciples and they're in the middle of this argument. They're in the middle of this dispute. And this is the situation that they come up on. The multitude is all around. There's, a, there's more or less like a fight. It's kind of like a, like a playground situation, you know? Fight, 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 fight. So everybody's congregating and, and they're around. And the disciples are disputing, it says, with the scribes. And... 
logical question would be, well, what are they even fighting about? What are they arguing about? And because of the context, we know that they're, they're fighting about this boy that the disciples aren't able to heal. And we don't necessarily know. We have to read between the lines a little bit, but I would wager to say, since it's with the scribes and the disciples, there might be some question as to the validity and the power that they claim that they have through their relationship with Christ. This is Mark chapter nine, but in Mark chapter six, Jesus sent them out. And they, would, they went around and they preached the, the idea of repentance and they also cast out demons. And they healed people from this demonic spiritual darkness. And they had authority in that moment, in that time. But in this story, in this section, they do not. They're, they're, they are not being successful. There is a hardship and a difficulty. And we see a world that is a little bit like the world today, where we have the world in chaos and there's a little bit of a question as to, is Jesus real? Is Jesus the savior? Do Christians have it, have it right? What's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. And then now this, this spiritual darkness is beginning to cloud the scene of the world that we live in. And now we immediately are on a battlefield and in a, a, a ministry and a missionary front that is very, very dark and very, very difficult to navigate. And that's, that's where we find ourselves today. So when we look at this passage, like, I want you guys to be thinking about how, how that world, that we, the world that we live in today can kind of be filtered or uh, seen in a similar way as what this is. Because this is very specific, but there's a spiritual element there. There's a, there's a demonic force there that's hindering this boy's life. And the church, the disciples, are trying to, to remedy the situation. And they're having to fight against these scribes, these ones that they think they know it all. And there's a, there's a dispute there. And very honestly, they could be, these scribes may be suggesting that Jesus is not the Messiah. Jesus, Jesus doesn't have any power. He doesn't have any authority because you guys don't have any power and you don't have any authority because you can't heal this boy. So Jesus, in verse 16, it says, the, and he asked the scribes, what are, you, what are you discussing with them? And again, they were up on this mountaintop, Peter, James, and John, and now they're down here in the world. And we're about ready to see the answer from, from the Father, but I think it is important for us to know that those mountaintop experiences that fill us up, that energize us, that give us um, the spiritual energy to, to go and engage with the world, we can't always just stay there. We can't just stay in these seats. We can't stay at conferences. We can't just sit and, and read the Bible forever. We can't have worship all the time to fill, fill us up because we have to go out into the world. We can't stay on those mountaintops. We have to go down into the valleys and minister and do missions work, whether it is over in Haiti or where not, where, wherever it literally could just be at work as soon as you leave the property. <clears throat> so it says, then one in the crowd answered and said, I, I brought my son to you. He has a, he has a mute spirit in him. And we, we, we uncover more information here in verse 18. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He throws him at the mouth, gnashing of teeth and becomes rigid. I spoke to your disciples and they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't fix him. So we see this situation here where this father, he's had faith in God. He's had faith in Jesus. He's heard about Jesus and he decided, I'm gonna take, take my son to Jesus. And he, his only option at the time is the disciples. So they're gonna have to do, but unfortunately there's no healing to, for his son. So we see this 
this father, and man, I love the position of this father. When he sees Jesus coming, he, he calls him teacher, first and foremost. It's, it's one that brings authority, one that you kind of want to plant yourself under and receive teaching from. Uh, ad- additionally, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, refers to Jesus not only as teacher, but also as Lord. And then additionally, the posture of this father when, he's pres- when he comes to Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, he actually kneels down before the Lord. So some information isn't necessarily found here in the Gospel of, of Mark, but reading the other accounts, we can see that this father, he has, he has a measure of, of relationship with Jesus. He knows Jesus. Jesus' is re- uh, rapport has been noted around the, around the community, so much so to where he's like, I'm going to take my son to Jesus. I'm going to take, take my boy to Jesus. And man, that is, that's amazing. That is so fantastic. And it says um, that, that, he, that he loves the Lord, that he has a relationship with God and with Jesus and knows him. So um, sad story though, that this, this boy is, is silenced by this spirit and that this spirit convulses him and brings torment and, and, and pain into this, into this boy's life. And rightly so, the father is wanting to bring his son before Jesus. <clears throat> so I spoke with your disciples. They couldn't do it. And Jesus responds to... Initially, it's, it seems like the father, but it's really not because he's talking to the generation. Um, he's talking to the crowd. He's talking to the, to the scribes. He's talking to also the disciples as well. So in verse 19, he, he says, you faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? This idea like, how, how long do I have to show myself to you? How is it that you don't, don't believe yet? How is it that this boy is not healed yet? Like, I, I, the disciples at this point have been hanging out with Jesus for a couple years. They've seen Jesus do amazing things. They've seen him <clears throat> heal. They've seen him restore paralyzed people and, and bring back walking and, and, and raise people from the dead and cleanse and remove, remove unclean spirits. So really there's, I think that there might be a little bit more direction of Jesus's talking is specifically to the disciples. And there's a little bit of frustration there. You know, how long do I have to be with you? Like how long do you have to camp and sit around the fireside with me and go city to city and town to town and see me work? Like the same power that lives in me is the same power that lives in you. Like you can do these things. I've already given you guys authority to do this. Why is there such a measure of doubt and unbelieving in you that you you can't do this? They, in verse 20, it says, uh, well, at the end of verse 19, man, I really like this. How long will I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him, the child, to Jesus. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit started convulsing in him and he fell on the ground and wallowed and foaming at the mouth. I love the idea of Jesus saying, bring your son to me. In this moment, the son is the hardships. The son is the difficulty. The son is the, is the issues that this father is up against that is overwhelming. He's like, bring, bring, bring him to me. And I can't help as a parent to feel like we all as parents and soon to be parents, there comes a point in time when you're like, I can't, I, I can't fix and put 
Avery's tibia back together. There's a sense of hopelessness that's there, that's found in that father. And maybe it's financial or maybe it is spiritual and supernatural to where it's like, ah, maybe it's the loss of a job or illness in the family. There is a moment where all of us are overwhelmed by the circumstances that we're found in and whatever that is, bring it to Jesus. And Jesus is, is, is calling for it. Bring him to me. He wants our problems. He wants to be able to bear that load and that responsibility and that hardship. Bring it to me. So I think of all of us, whatever it is that maybe your children are facing, why is he the way that he is? Why are they the way that they are? Why, what is, Jesus is just, bring, bring him to me. Bring those problems to me. Let me be the thing that, that takes care of this situation, that makes this situation correct, and makes this right. So often, I think of a, of a, of a child throwing a temper tantrum or uh, somebody that's being thrown out of an apartment uh, and losing, losing their, their place in an apartment, you know, the, the spirit convulses and freaks out and just like, ah, and this temper tantrum assu- uh, 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 happens and it's just like, we see that this spirit is just tormented and just conflicted because he's around the presence of the Lord. Because we see the power of Jesus overwhelming this evil spirit. It's a crazy moment. And Jesus, in verse 21, he just calmly looks at the Father and says, How how long has this been happening? It's a very. I feel like it would have been a very strange moment while this this kid that's being tormented and just possessed by this demon is just freaking out and he's just like so uh tell me tell me how long this has been happening here almost like a calming sense Jesus knows how long this is happening like does Jesus need to ask this question I think many of us would say like, no, he doesn't need to ask how long this is happening. I propose that maybe that this was for the crowd's benefit. It was for the father's benefit to show compassion, to show a sense of sympathy for this father that was going through a hard time. And the father begins to talk about what's going on in, in, in his life. And, and it says that the father says, this has been happening since childhood. And often he throws him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Could you imagine the, the torment and the struggle that even the father's having, let alone the son, to just know that occasionally this spirit just takes over your son and is trying to kill him and harm him. And we see that that's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And the evil spirit, he's totally wanting to fulfill the kingdom of darkness's purpose. He yields himself and and acts just like the enemy. This is what he wants to do and he's trying to do it in a, in a disguised way here as like epilepsy. And interestingly enough, in the original language, uh, this word epilep- epilepsy was translated to lunatic, all right? Just they're using uh, medical terms over in, I think, um, um, Matthew. But Luke and Mark actually talk about the spiritual aspect but regardless, the son's acting like a lunatic, like somebody that's not in their right mind is crazy. He's overwhelmed, and Jesus takes the time to, to just say, how, how are you doing? Tell me the story. Take the time, and we see the sympathy that Jesus has and in the, in, in the concern for this individual and for the sake of having... <clears throat> supporting scripture, uh, I threw up First Peter 
chapter three, verse eight, and I think about how Peter says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another or sympathy for one another as brothers, be tenderhearted and courteous. This is, this is what God wants us to do and very much like the problem in just the act of somebody sharing what's going on in their life that individual starts to feel like, man, that person hears me, that person gets me. And some of those problems kind of work themselves out. I think of like the, uh, a psychologist, tell me how you feel. How does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? There's a little bit of that, but Jesus goes beyond just like a robot. Tell me how you feel, tell me how you feel. Because Jesus is God. He knows that he's going to be trying to fulfill a bigger and grander purpose. So that way, all those that are listening, all those that are, that are seeing and witnessing can see the glory of God and see what is about ready to take place because Jesus is gonna heal this guy, this kid. He's going to take care of the issue at hand. But interestingly enough, the act of, of healing in this specific sense is kind of tied to the idea of belief, the idea of, of faith. And this isn't necessarily the case. Jesus doesn't need our belief to measure up to a certain extent to do what he wants to do. Jesus can do and save and, and work however he wants to work. What he wants to do is never dependent upon like our, our faith necessarily. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. But in this sense, it seems as though he's trying to communicate and use this boy and use this father's story to help encourage the disciples who are struggling in this moment. Because they're like, man, well, we'll get to it. So he says, well, first, I really do like the idea that in verse 23 or verse 22, that the father says, can you do anything? Can you have compassion on us and help us? This father's problem, or rather this son's problem is so dramatic that the father is also feeling the weight of this burden the hardship, the difficulty, like it goes beyond just the boy. The, the father is saying, can you help us? And this sympathetic and tenderhearted nature that Jesus has is going to do more than just helping the boy. The problem is also the father's problem because, man, he doesn't know when the spirit's gonna come and try and kill his kid. Like the torment is gone beyond just the body of the son. It's, it's, it's the father, it's the family's problem. They're it's crazy. I couldn't imagine having to endure this and just be, well, we need to conduct our life, but I don't know when Billy's gonna, you know, have a moment here. I don't know when he's gonna, you, you would feel so helpless and overwhelmed. And we as parents, at times, we do. We feel like, how, how, are, how am I going, we can't resolve our kids' problems, like all the time. There has to be a moment where we just, bring our son or our daughters or our problems before the Lord. And Jesus is like, if, if you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. You know, like, believe. And this isn't, um, this isn't this moment of, well, if I believe enough, then, then the impossible will happen. This is, I believe in God and the power of God is the one that can do the impossible. Like God can, like I already stated, God can do the impossible with or without us. But we believe in a God that can do that. He is the all-powerful. So this, in this sense, yes, it's good for us to believe. But this isn't like a name it and claim it, um, uh, profess it and and possess it or blab it and grab it kind of situation here. That's not what's happening here. <clears throat> really in this moment, that act of believing brings us to a point where we're before God. We want, because we know who God is and we know the power that he possesses and who Jesus is, he begins to be the first thing that we come to. 
And the problem in today's world in how we all probably raise our kids, if you guys are anything like me, uh, you begin to raise your kids and say, well, I'm gonna teach them to not be absolutely helpless. Would like for them to be able to tie their own shoes or maybe clean up after themselves. Um, one of my things that I say, I find myself saying to Tyson on the regular is, things don't come in cans, they come in cans. Come on, like do it, do it, do it. So at the house, we're always kind of encouraging our kids and we've been brought up to where it's like, I can do this, I got this, I got this. And if, if you guys are anything like me, it's like, yo, asking for help is the last thing that I wanna do, like I got this. And in, in a world, in a society where we've kind of created that as, as guys, as parents or whatnot, trying to raise our kids up so that way they can actually contribute to society, there, there becomes something that's just ingrained in us, in us to where we're, we try and fight our own battles. We try and take care of things and bear the load ourselves. So we lose sight that all things are possible with God and that we need to bring our problems before God. <clears throat> and of course, the father in verse 24, he cries out with tears and he says, Lord, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. And there's another, there's another passage of scripture that says, says it in a slightly different way. It says, I do have faith, but help me have even more. And for all of us, I, I I would, I would hope that that would be our desire. Or maybe that it's not necessarily just faith-based. Maybe it, it, it has a different connotation or a different statement to it. I want to obey. I'm willing to obey, but help me obey even more. I have patience, but help me have more patience. Regardless, this unbelief in this father I'm so blown away that he just so honestly puts that before God. I, I, do, I do believe, but help me, help me believe more. It's super honest. And, and when I read this passage, I, this, is, this is the verse that's always stuck out with me because we're, we're people. We can't do everything in and of ourselves. We... We're just children of God. And at some point in time, we just have to continue to return to the Lord and ask for that belief and spend time with the Lord and get back on that mountaintop experience so that way we can experience that glory of God so that way we have increased belief of the God that we serve and the God that looks after our life, the one that has ownership of our life. But he says with tears, help my, help my unbelief. And then Jesus, of course, when everybody starts rolling around, Jesus is like, well, I better put an end to this eventually. So he says he speaks specifically to, to the deaf and dumb spirit and he commands him. And he says, don't enter on many more. Jesus speaks to that problem and then he speaks with authority over that problem. And then he sets, closes that problem down, shuts the door and gives specific um, limitations to that problem. And we see Jesus solve the sp situation specifically. And then in verse 26, the spirit convulsed. It's like one, one crazy moment here where the, the spirit's trying to, just being tormented really by Jesus. And how quickly the, the scene and the tides changed because it was the boy that was, that was crying out and convulsing and now it's, now it's the spirit. The spirit is crying out and freaking out because God has that power and authority over that spirit. And it says, he became as one that was dead <clears throat> so that many people said, is he dead? And man, I think in that moment, that boy was probably more alive than he'd ever been and how shocking it was for that crowd, what the stark difference was that in that moment when that boy's finally at peace, he's finally at rest, they're shocked to a point where they're like, did he just die? 
But no, man, he's, he's calm. The confusion and the horror and the torment is completely over and Jesus becomes victorious in that moment over that situation. So the crowd thinks he's dead. And man, if this isn't a picture of salvation, then I don't know what is because it says in verse 27, but then Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for us. We, in our sins, we're dead. When we finally like die to ourself and respond to Jesus's calling, then he's the one that can, that can lift us up and to bring us up and to bring us back to life and to be in our right mind and not be confused by the ways of the world and the things in the world. But there's such a need for us to come before the Lord with a measure of faith, a measure of belief. And when we have that measure of faith and we have that measure of belief, we get to a point here after it's all said and done that where we find ourselves like the disciples. Because the disciples in verse 28, now the whole entire moment's over and it's done and everybody's gone home and Jesus and the disciples are hanging out by themselves and they're, they wanna know what's going on understandably. So they say, why, why, why couldn't we cast out this spirit? Why couldn't we cast out the demon? And Jesus tells us in verse 29 that this kind can come out only by prayer. So there's an indication that there are different types of spirits and there's a different type of strength to some spirits. And I have uh, a reference on here uh, somewhere, but Jesus says in one of the gospels talking to the Pharisees that um, he gives a, an interpretation or a, an, an analogy, a parable of this one that has a spirit in, 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 their, in their house, the, inside themselves, and then it goes away and can't find anywhere else nice to hang out. And, and so what he does is after that, uh, that individual has put their house back in order and it looks nice and whatnot, the spirit goes and finds seven more that are more powerful than him and comes and dwells back inside that home, back inside that vessel. And so we see that Jesus in that passage, I think it's in, uh, oh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 45. We see that Jesus kind of assigns a ranking or more power to some type of spirits, some type of demons. And so it's so important for us to be mindful. And Jesus says, man, this type can only be cast out by prayer. And this prayer that Jesus is talking about is, this is not like your prayer list to, to God. This is not, well, I want this and I want this. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with this? This is, this is the prayer that is kind of indicative of a relationship. Prayer that Jesus is talking about here is this, this relationship that we need to have with God to where he's somebody that we're communing with on the regular. He's somebody that we know and because we know him and we're talking to him, he knows us and, and we have this beautiful relationship. It's, um, it's, it's very different than just, yeah, occasionally, like before meals, we say grace or, you know, when I have a need, I go to the Lord. This is, this is very relational to where there is a practice there going on. You know God you're in a relationship with him and you're talking with him on the regular to where immediately when something goes on, he's somebody that you know that you can turn to. And this belief, when I'm talking about help my belief, what I've, what I've entitled this message, is this idea of <clears throat> prayer is the thing that helps our belief. Prayer is necessary to help our belief. And prayer, I mean relationship, engagement, where we're talking with the Lord and we're seeing him move and operate in our life. The more that we pray, the more opportunity we have for God to move in our life and for us to see him move in our life. The disciples, these nine guys, they'd casted out demons before. And I wonder if their own 
flesh or their own successes started being the focus, they started realizing like, man, I've, I'm, I'm powerful. I have the ability, I've, I can do this. And they started kind of having that self-reliance and they started thinking that they were the ones doing the work. I think it was in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus talks about you faithless generation, he also says corrupt. And he, he assigns the, the descriptor corrupt to it. And I wonder if maybe their belief and the way that they approached the Lord started to become corrupt because they started to put more faith and trust in themselves and their dependency on God was less and less. On um, Mondays, uh, like I said, I go over to the... Uh, I go over to the school and I do a devotion for the grade schoolers and I, I found myself in Matthew chapter 18 and, uh, and I mentioned this on, on Wednesday, but um, we were talking about a dispute that, that came up among the disciples and the disciples said, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's the greatest? And their, their perspective is totally off again. And Jesus, what did he do? Interestingly enough, just like here, it says he calls, he says, bring that child to me. And in that story, he, he calls a child to himself again. He says, this child, if you believe like this child and you have faith like this child, then you're the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I started kind of thinking through this a little bit more and specifically with this situation in prayer and depression total dependence on God the Father and for a child who can't do anything by themselves. They can't tie their shoes yet. They can't make their own dang food. They can't, they don't have a job. So they have, they have not started to experience their own successes. They have not started to experience a resume that they're, they're proud of. And, you know, they, they have a house of their own and they've made money. And we as adults, we start to do that. We start to say, I can take care of myself. Look at what I built. Look at what I did. Look at my job. Look at all this. And we start to lose sight of that faith like a child because a child is completely dependent upon the parent. And for that child, he's going to very quickly say, I need to pray. I have a problem. I'm going to go to my father. A common thing that happens in our house, mom, dad, like all the time, all the time. That's why I'm not as prepared as I'd like to be with this message. In addition to the fact that son, or, uh, when Avery got hurt, like there was a lot of stuff going on and I had to do stuff because, well, I got to pick her up and take her to the bathroom. I got to take her up and bring her here for this. And, and yeah, let's teach you how to use some crutches. Let's teach you how to use a wheelchair. And so for right now, getting back to this idea of <clears throat> putting this scripture into practice, it was really hard for me this week because I wasn't able to prepare as much as I wanted to. And at some point in time, I'm, I'm like, I have way too many notes here. There, it's just information. It's not been really honed down. And I had to get to a point where I'm like, I gotta, I gotta bring this to you, Lord. I, I've done as much as I can. You know I have. But at some point in time, you, you have to just be the one to do the heavy lifting because I can't do it anymore. I'm, ma I'm maxed out. So many of us are just maxed out. And at some point in time, we just have to come to the Lord and just say, help me. Help me, Lord. Help me. And the more that we do that, the more often we will we'll come to him. Because if we're not praying... We're not asking for God's help. If that's not on the front of our mind, then we lose an opportunity to see God move and to see God work because we're not asking. So as the worship team comes back up <clears throat> and closes us, I just want to encourage us to have this open communication with the Lord, to start engaging in a relationship with God to where he's somebody that we begin to think of first and foremost in our life when there's a hardship and when there's a difficulty in our life if we're not taking the time to pray for the Lord 
pray with God about it, then we lose an opportunity to see God answer those prayers. And when we see God answer those prayers, then that is something that's ingrained in our mind to say, oh man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray again. God totally answered. And you start to build this track record and this, this uh, series of, of experiences to where you know God's faithful, you know he'll respond, you know he'll be there because you've seen him do it time and time and time and time again. You start to build those memorial stones on either side of like the Jordan River where you're like, I saw God move there. I know he'll answer. I know he hears me because he's done it again and again and again because I'm in community with God. I'm in communication with God. I'm engaging with him on a daily basis. Anyway, let's close in prayer and let me pray for you guys and for us. Father God, I thank you so much for for your word and just this passage of scripture and to see a father's heart for their kid and that he comes to you so quickly. Who knows how far he's traveled with with this boy in this state, but we know that he's had this, this issue for years in years and years. And I wonder what issue we have had in our life for years and years and years and we have failed to bring before you. Or perhaps we have brought it before you and our unbelief has just um, hindered things. That you just want an extra measure of faith. um, That we would continue to bring it to you. I think of that, that parable where Jesus says, man, stand at the door and just continue to knock and be persistent. Continue to knock. Ask over and over and over again. I pray that we would, uh, we would have that mindset, that we would continue to, to ask, that we would continue to come before you because you not only are the author and the finisher of our faith, but everything in the universe is subject to you. Everything has to listen and and to obey you. So I pray with complete faith that each and every one of us would have more faith, that you'd help our unbelief. And that as we experience difficult and hardship Moments that we would very quickly come before you and say, God, take this. God, I'm bringing, I'm bringing this before you. Please do. I can't, I can't be the one to do this. I'm, I'm unable, but you are not unable. With you, all things are possible. Um, we love you so much, God. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.